Good day and welcome to another episode of Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. And we're in the thick and thin of our season. And why slow down? That's right, we're here with another episode. And this season, we are looking at adaptations that have turned into blockbuster movies. And for this one, we're going to be going straight back to the 90s again. We're going to stick to that. And we'll be looking at the comic book adaptation of one of my all-time favorite 90s movie, the 1997 blockbuster, The Men in Black. I wanted to have the word the in front of it, but it is just known as Men in Black. That's right. Directed by Barry Sonnenfeld and, of course, starring in this movie, the men protecting us from the earth, from the scum of the universe. We have the dynamic duo Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones and co-starring Linda Fiorentino, Vincent D'Onofrio and Rip So, strictly speaking, this is a Marvel movie, just not done by the Marvel Studios we are familiar with, even though the Marvel Studios was founded back in 1993, so they could have taken custody of this film or adaptation, but they weren't then established. So, in steps in Amblin Entertainment and Columbia Pictures to acclimatise this famous comic book movie done by Marvel. Well, actually, no. It was essentially made by Ethel Comics in 1990, who was then bought out by Malibu Comics, who was then purchased by Marvel in 1994. So quite the faff in terms of ownership. But it was Marvel that forced the Hollywood studio to make this into a movie to create a revenue and churn for their new comic book line. And once again, it was none other than Steven Spielberg pulling the strings here. The triumph of this film inspired Marvel, who by 1997, the time of this film's release, who owned the property to option other properties for development and would later collaborate with Columbia Pictures again to produce the 2002 blockbuster film Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, amongst many more projects. So you could say that the new MCU does owe its success and risks to Men in Black or my stretching. That's up for you to decide. Anyway, this film did exceptionally well, being the highest grossing buddy comedy in the US box office history, which is quite a statement. $90 million budget, grossing over a quarter of a billion dollars in the US and Canada alone, and almost $600 million globally, which is ridiculous for a film in 1997. In fact, the only two films that did better on a global scale was surprisingly Bean, the Rowan Atkinson um, take on Mr. Bean, and shockingly, the record-breaking Titanic. So Men in Black was up against the biggest movie in history, or one of them. Anyway, so the comic book somewhat disintegrated, and the film became a cult classic, spawning two more sequels with the original duo, Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, and some awful reboot with Chris Hemsworth that just didn't find the tone Son film magnificently captured in the first three. Well, maybe one and three, and sort of missed the mark with the second. But regardless, the reboot wasn't that great, in my opinion. In fact, when the movie came out and it did so well they even made new comic books and even started a cartoon series based on the film now going back to the origins Lowell Cunningham is the man who created the original Men in Black comics as it was known the Men in Black it was called that's why I used there earlier they dropped the there when the movie came out kind of like Facebook and to quote Timberlake, Timberlake Sean Parker in social network it's cleaner and it works the idea simply came to Cunningham when his friend introduced him to the whole concept of government agents in black turning up in black vans and being completely vague and mysterious. The aliens and whatnot were added later. Cunningham actually has a cameo in this movie, naturally playing the short-sleeved MIB office employee, so that was always a nice thing. 
The sole purpose and role of the Men in Black, which is best known as a three-word acronym like the FBI, CIA, NSA, and all the others, is overseeing and investigating both good and evil paranormal activity on Earth, including alien life, demons, mutants, zombies, werewolves, and creatures. Of course, the movie only really flirts and tickles with the aliens, but the comics, it more resembles what Scully and Mulder do in the X-Files, where it covers a vast amount of things. Um, but there is no doubt that given the unoriginality of this storyline, considering it had been a theme in many TV shows like The Twilight Zone, The X-Files, random B-horror movies, it had to be tackled correctly. And they needed something to vamp it up. And the driving force behind the film's success was, of course, the hottest star at the time, juxtaposing himself with the lovable Grump, coming hot off an Oscar from The Fugitive. Them co-starring in this movie together was a spark that ignited this movie into cult classic stardom and solidifying itself amongst the top 90s in terms of it, it, it sort of epitomizing the Y2K stylistic movies that touched on the realms of the end of the world. They are the best kept secret on the planet. Their mission to monitor extraterrestrial life on planet Earth and Sonnenfeld and Spielberg decided to create a chemistry among the two stars and that exploded this film status as one of the most talked about film in the 90s. Will Smith was obviously coming off a similar genre film the year before with Independence Day and was probably top of his game at this point, you know, with Bad Boys and the French Prince of Bel-Air. It was kind of like the Pedro Pascal of today. The tone is noteworthy and everything about this film. I would describe this as probably what an action sci-fi comedy. And there is only a handful of people that could have pulled it off. And of course, Spielberg, who once again was producing like he did with the Flintstones, made sure Sonnenfeld, who directed The Addams Family and Get Shorty, had the tone in the bag when making this film about aliens that could have easily fallen into the hole of being, you know, too dark or too horrific and becoming scary. And funnily enough, the same font from the Adams family was used for the Men in Black. And he also used the same actor who played Lurch in one of the scenes when he plays an Archillian who gets killed by the bug. You probably notice him. He's massive. I would say it's one of the most beloved sci-fi comedies ever made. And it's still hard to find a movie after 1997 that competes with it. It was a perfect blend of the trends of the 90s decade. Secret government agents, aliens, buddy comedies, and of course, Will Smith, who at the time of the release of this film, he was known as that really cool guy and Bad Boys or Independence Day and of course The Fresh Prince. Their personalities complemented each other in terms of the vast difference of themselves and their personal grip on the situation at hand which creates this blend of comedic moments that is steering the audience nicely away from the horrors of the story. And another mention needs to be Vincent D'Ofario who without the villain being on point the movie isn't worth talking about and a lot of the heavy lifting was done by the physical acting of Vincent who you know, was playing the bug really well. He plays it exceptionally well with the body. He somehow keeps the body horror and comedy in perfect balance. Between all the exciting sci-fi action and laugh that Barry Sonnenfeld brought to life in this movie, there's a sense of adventure and awe in Men in Black that takes audiences into the impossible underground world of aliens hiding in plain sight and making it very naturalistic. The film is ageless. It still holds strong against possible scrutiny and woke complaints about men. As the premise, it still holds solid. The, its message is still poignant. Most of the jokes still work. It wraps the film up well. It has unintentionally ticked the very much needed woke boxes that need to be mandatory now, even with a very provocative title like Men in Black. As it should, the film naturally introduces the possibility of Linda Fiorentino becoming an agent, a black man leading the division, and the white man in help of youth and talent and accepting the adapting times the world has been forced to make. 
Now, like the beginning of all productions, this film was quite rocky to begin with. Like the Flintstones, Spielberg saw the potential this story could have had in the right hands, and just like the Flintstones, the script wasn't there. Tommy Jones only accepted the role of Kate after Spielberg promised that the script would improve since the script that he read wasn't up to scratch. Tommy Lee Jones was casted first, and Steven Spielberg made the call that the partnership was everything about this movie. Without the right pairing, the movie couldn't work. And this film, like most in the 90s, came down not with story or visual effects, but simply with casting. Which is why I think Tarantino's films always work, because he always nails the cast. Will Smith didn't even believe it was Spielberg on the phone when he approached him over the phone and he called him to do Men in Black and they actually just called him before the release of Independence Day. So they they had no idea if Independence Day was actually going to perform well or not. So they were going quite blind. So Will Smith was a tad reluctant to take the role, seeming he'd just come off doing another sci-fi blockbuster that included Aliens, but it was his wife, Jada, who convinced him to take the role. Turns out, she was right. So Will Smith flourished in a role doing his trademark one-liners and little um, improv on the side, like, it'd just be raining black people in New York. And shockingly, Spielberg and Summerfield didn't select Will Smith because of Bad Boys or Independence Day, because it hadn't come out yet. Uh, They were casting him because Summerfield's wife was a massive fan of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. And Spielberg actually loved him in the 1993 film Six Degrees of Separation, which is a terrific film. So they casted him for completely different reasons. And I think I heard on the audio commentary that Will Smith went to this alien encounter convention to las vegas to research this film i mean he'd just done two alien films back to back so yeah why not and the uh, the other actor that was talked to about the role of jay was none other than friends david schwimmer who would have been an interesting touch to the film he was actually the first choice for this role but he turned it down so just a couple of years in 2021 i think just a couple of years ago actually will smith was um doing an interview with gq and he was asked what was his favorite time on set and what was the favorite movie they had done and he named two films and one of them was this film so he said the two best films i've ever done and the you know the best time on set i've ever done was the pursuit of happiness and the men in black so the only thing that he didn't like was that the last scene when tommy lee jones and will smith you know when they're covered in sludge and gut from the uh you know the, like the entrails of the bug Will Smith hated it. He absolutely detested it. And you think, you know, the younger guy would probably wouldn't mind being, you know, down and dirty. But it was Tommy Lee Jones who didn't really care, and Will Smith who really hated it. And they did that a few times as well. Good old Texan blood in him. Probably Tommy Lee Jones just like I don't care. So Tommy Lee Jones the same year was playing Harvey Two Face, which was a chance to flex and bend the stereotype of his straight blunt persona and really go over the top to match Jim Carrey and the Riddler. And Tommy did go all out, and Schumacher's Batman forever let him do that. However, in Men in Black, Son and Phil directed Tommy Lee Jones to play straight in every single scene, like really blunt, really rigid. And Tommy Lee Jones was actually annoyed because he wasn't allowed to do comedic takes, because once again, he was against a comedic actor, Will Smith. But he insisted that if he did that, that the comedy just wouldn't work for the film, and he had to be completely serious in every scene. My favourite is his face in the elevator when Will Smith is recruited. His timing is everything. Tommy Lee Jones is fantastic in this role. I think that same scene, Kay tells him not to call him sport or kid or anything like that, which ends up being like a whole gimmick for the entire franchise since Kay continues to just call him everything. 
but his name in his film, which I really love. And they do that in the third movie as well. It's such a cool thing. Only at the end of the movie, right before he is neutralized, does Kay finally call him Jay, which is a little sweet moment. Anyway, this follows suit by being set in New York, the very overused playing field for blockbusters in the 90s and, uh, and, well, most decades after that too. This one was going to be set in an underground base and flirt around in locations like Kansas and D.C. and Nevada, but Sonnenfeld made the decision to stick with the city that never sleeps, of course. He thought it was more believable that aliens could hide out in a large city like Godzilla did in crowds and that New York would be more tolerant of people who behaved oddly. And interestingly enough, there's a scene where Will jumps from the overpass onto a tour bus, the same bridge, the same location, when he is attacked by demon dogs in I Am Legend. So it just shows the expansion of movies being set in New York, being sarcastic, of course, so much so that you have the same actor in the same location and the same genre. But unlike the other movies in the 90s that were predominantly or partially set in New York, like Godzilla or Armageddon, this film was praised for being surprisingly accurate when it came to the scientific facts, so Men in Black has that to hold above the rest. But anyways, enough about New York City or location. Let's talk about outfits, suits, men in black. I mean, they had to be spot on. They needed to have some style. And there was a lot of worries early on that they were going to look like the Blues Brothers. So they had the costume designer come in, bring every effort to make sure they looked more like Cary, Gla uh, Cary Grant's classic gray suit in North by Northwest. And then, of course, came the glasses, the Ray-Bans, which were called the Predator 2 glasses. Naturally, the sale of those glasses tripled from 1.6 million to 5 million in 1997 and 1998. Kind of like how tickets for joining the army skyrocketed when Top Gun came out. So one thing that I've always thought about when watching this movie, one of the funniest moments is when Will Smith is being tested. I love those movies. Those moments are hilarious and very timeless. Um, and he's going through this sort of audition process to see if, you know, he has what it takes to become an LYB agent. And he is invited to take part in a series of tests. Now, in a novelization, when all the guys are being shown aliens and they all have to shoot the threat, Jay shoots Tiffany, the little girl holding the quantum mechanics book, I think it is. Um, and now in the comic books, Jay is actually told he is correct in shooting Tiffany, not for the reasons Jay says, but kind of, but because she was an alien in disguise while all the other aliens were harmless. So in point of fact, what he says in the movie is correct. And in the movie is very much hinted that he was wrong, but Rip's character, Dawn, he, Rip Dawn's character simply just asks, what the hell was he doing? And says nothing else because Jay snaps at him and doesn't have a chance to say that maybe he was right. So... In that scene when he shoots little Tiffany in the head, he was actually correct to do so. And they knew he was correct to do so, but they didn't have a chance to say he was right because Will Smith just snaps at them already. He's like, I appreciate if you ease off my back about it. And in the movie, it is very much hinted that he was wrong. But, you know, Rip Torn's character simply just asks what the hell he's doing and, you know, he gets grilled. But what can you do? So you could say he was meant to do that. And that is confirmed by the novelization. And the other thing that is uh, always been in my head is that... Bloody table sequence, which is also so hilarious. Now, first he is mocks, you know, first he mocks the agent by, you know, mimicking his seriousness and he's like, with honor, sir. Um, that's all fine. I love that bit. Then we've got some personality, you know, we've got some like really like serious military men there and they're all sat across the table. Well, they're not even sat across the table. We're all sat in this really like dome chair thing and they're all given a piece of paper to write a test on and they're all failing tragically. One of them's got pencil through the paper fucking jay breaks his pencil they're all struggling to write on this piece of paper and then jay just drags the table unceremoniously towards him so he can write better causing the loudest sound and just causing a very cool comedic scene was that a test or not did they leave the table in, in away from the middle of the room to see who would grab it first now 
It's never confirmed, but the shock on Tommy Lee Jones' face indicates that it might not have been a test. So who knows? But it always ponders in my head that scene, if it was a test or not. Yeah, because I, I think I watched the film the other day and I was like, oh, I wonder if this was a test. Because it, everyone looks so shocked that he's doing it, but every single person was comically struggling to do the test in a dignified manner. And the more and more I watch it, you have to think the table was put in that room to see who would be the first to use some logic and forget about how they look. So I don't know, maybe, maybe it was a test. Now... You could believe that these two things are why Jay got selected than the other two, maybe. These two tests were the reason Jay was, you know, there. But K is the one pushing for Jay. And thanks to the third movie, we kind of get why now. But is it up for interpretation? Did K see himself as a guardian to Jay after seeing his father killed because of him in 1969? Which is a massive spoiler for the third movie, by the way. So I apologize. And sort of vowed to protect him at all costs. Or was K simply nailing the test? Jay, sorry, was simply nailing the test with his out-of-the-box thinking. That is up to you to decide. Who knows? But after the third movie, it kind of makes sense why they chose Will Smith. But maybe he did do the test correctly. So it's a good movie to revisit when you watch how the third movie unfolds at the end. But like I said, this movie is timeless. It recreates effortlessly the nostalgic qualities of the 90s when you watch it. Everyone is on point in this movie. It's great to see Linda Fiorentino in a blockbuster. This actress had serious potential in Hollywood. She was completely snubbed for an Oscar nomination for The Last Seduction. And then she sort of faded away after this. I think she actually won her role in this movie because of a poker game with Barry Sonnenfeld. And while we're mentioning the cast, you have to have a special nod for the wonderful Vincent DeForio, who went to all... Uh, you know, he went all out to play the bug. Um, went all out to play the bug, and I think he actually ended up voicing all the bugs who appeared in the Men in Black series that was created as a direct result of the film's success. I think for me, he had the biggest role. Someone say in terms of the off-screen workload, six hours a day to transform himself into the bug. Sulk swatches were glued to his cheeks and tied around the back of his head to stretch his face. Massive research on insect movements and basing his movements on people like Peter Sellers and Gene Wilder. He really went above and beyond, and it really shows he was fantastic in this movie even when they were filming you know not not just off screen but on screen they had to go all kubrick and david fincher on him the crew had like i think i read it was like 15 takes of him drinking sugar water um just because they couldn't get the scene right so he must have had a lot of energy for the rest of the day i think i was also thinking there's a scene where you know jay spits out the lemonade in a very funny way at the house uh when they visit the wife and i i it comes to me that i think because they use all the sugar when Edgar asks for it. He's like, give me water and sugar, which is why the lemonade probably tastes gross. And that's why he spits it out. Just a thought. you got to love these little attention to details. But that's something I only noticed recently, not when I first watched it. Anyway, film always relies on luck when it comes to casting. Who says yes or who says no. And they're, you know, the sing- every single decision single-handedly changes the course of this movie's reputation and the trajectory of the actor. I mean, Denzel turning Brad Pitt's role in Seven would have affected the film, Denzel's career, and also Brad Pitt's. Would Brad Pitt have been working with Fincher again in Fight Club if Denzel didn't say no for Seven? So many what-ifs for the movie. David Schwimmer turning down this role, Will Smith almost almost turning down the role, but thanks to Jada, David Swift's rejection for the role, we wouldn't have had a movie that truly epitomizes the height of Will Smith as an actor. And his, chem- his chemistry with, it, with his counterpart, Kay, which would have gone to Clint Eastwood, by the way, and a number of other people before Luck stepped in and parted ways for Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones to create magic on screen chemistry. And of course, the, cho- the chosen duo to protect us from the scum of the universe. Anyway. That's all I have time for with Men in Black. Hardly anyone will or can talk about it badly. It's a fun ride in a slap middle of the late 90s that changed the course of both Will and Tommy's career. You can subscribe to me on Spotify, iTunes, Google and Amazon 
drop me a follow on Instagram, that's where I'm based, drop me a like, comment, and you can also find me co-hosting across the pond of Quantum Recast, check them out, they've got some cool stuff happening there, I love those guys, and it's the best podcast in America, so check it out, but in the meantime, thank you for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Harris.